Welcome to Sailing Through Life, a journey to health, happiness, and living your dreams. My name is Lori and I'm your host. My guest today is Lindsay Miller. Lindsay is the host of the Stress Nanny podcast and the founder of the Stress Nanny. She has a degree in child development as well as mindfulness yoga and health coaching certifications. Join me as we set sail on this adventure to discover ways to take care of yourself, find the positive in life, and continue to dream even when going through some of your darkest days. Listen to my inspiring guests as they share their stories and give hope to help you on your journey. Lindsay helps women and children recover from the stressful experiences and build resilience for the future. She shares tools to help clients uncover their strengths, develop healthy habits, and improve their self-talk. By creating a safe space to work through stressful situations like family conflict, divorce, illness, infertility, and loss, Lindsay supports clients as they unlock their potential to live meaningful and intentional lives in any situation. And so mindfulness is so powerful because it allows us to kind of discern what is going on. Like if we're having an emotional response or like you said, a reaction that maybe doesn't match the situation that we're in, like, whoa, that was a really big reaction or response, you know, for this, for this stress or for this situation. Sometimes it's because like we have stressful events in our past that we haven't sorted and organized just yet. And so with mindfulness, we can start to be a little more discerning. And this comes into relationships pretty heavily because a lot of times what happens is when those stuck feelings come into play, it really affects our relationships. My episode today is That Sinking Feeling. In this empowering conversation with Lindsay, we will discuss resilience and how to get through challenges, how stress affects you and relationships, and how to recover from stressful situations and take care of yourself. Please welcome Lindsay. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, Lori. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. The sinking feeling. Everybody has a connotation of what that is, that feeling you have when you're stressed out and you don't know where to go or you can't get ahead of it. Your background with dealing with stress and resilience will be extremely helpful to anyone who's going through that sinking feeling. So I wanted to just get into a little bit about some of the things I read on your website. You had explained that life is full of experiences that are challenging to cope with. And for every stress we face, there are consequences for our physical and emotional health. Oftentimes we want to handle problems on our own, but that leads to burnout and overwhelm. Now you say you know because you've been there and through years of infertility, autoimmune disease, overwork and loss, you took your physical and emotional health to the breaking point. And this is a really great example of how you went from one extreme to the other and you took something that happened to you and you were able to turn that around to reach out and help other people. Where did this kind of start from? At what point in your life did reaching out to other people and being a guide through stressful situations and helping clients? um, When did that all occur? That's such a great question. You know, I had to mess up a couple times and really fall on my face during struggle before I sorted out that I could actually use struggle as a means to supporting other people. Um, when I was in high school, we moved and that was so devastating for me as a teacher. And I was really feisty and angry and I was resentful for a really long time. And it, it, didn't cause me any kind of joy to be that way. And it really kind of hurt and created a lot of suffering for the people around me, my family members, my friends. I wasn't a really fun person to be around. So from that experience, I realized that that was one way I could handle, you know, really a hard time. If I could, I could go through a struggle and I could be really feisty and make it miserable for myself and for everyone around me. But when I got into college and I had some struggles with anxiety and I realized I could turn around my struggle and create meaning for myself by learning things during struggle that would help me support others. So I started taking each struggle as it came and thinking about 
how it could help me empathize with someone else. And I had the opportunity to be a resident assistant at one point during college. And it really opened my eyes to the number of number of us that struggle routinely, right? Like struggle isn't foreign to really any of us and just looks Mm -hmm. different. You know, the severity of it might be different but we all navigate challenges. And so during those years, I just did my best to kind of use what I knew to support others and to try to deepen my empathy in hard moments so that I could show up more fully and more supportively for others. So later on, when I navigated infertility, you know, our marriage struggled as a result. And after that, we experienced um, some, you know, we had a successful in vitro cycle and then one that I, I miscarried. So we had loss after that. And then my health really took a t- following that cycle and that grief. And in those times, it really deepened my commitment because, you know, sometimes life hands us challenges that really take us to a place we've never been before in terms of loss or in terms of sadness or just like the depth of the experience that we go through. And in, in those moments, those years, I really had to dig deep and really honor that commitment to empathy because it's not always easy to think, well, this suffering will help me understand someone else, right? It's really hard sometimes. (laughs) But during those years, I just held on to that and it really, it helped me get through. And, you know, later I read some of the work of Viktor Frankl and he talked about how responding to suffering is one of the ways we create meaning in life. So when we respond intentionally to suffering, overwhelm, struggle, that that's one of the ways we create meaning. So even if, you know, creating and experiencing aren't things that we can really d- dive into in terms of meaning, if it's suffering that is our lot or our season that we're in, that we can find meaning in how we relate to it and how we use it to move forward. Everybody has a point of reference. Everybody's got a good memory and a not so good memory to base that extreme on and dealing with those negative times and what you do with it and how you work through it makes all the difference. That challenge of getting through it does create stress and it's hard sometimes not to get caught up in that. So when you're getting stressed about something, what are some of the things that happen to you um, as you're you're going through that? And how? what are some of the signs that this is time to take the reins and, and ask for help if you need? Yeah, that's such a great question. So one of the things that I've learned over time, especially with this body that I have, when my digestion starts to tank, <laughs> that's like a warning, a warning mm-hmm. signal for me. That's one of the ways my body starts to whisper that something's amiss. When I'm feeling overwhelmed, I'm not able to sleep well. Though that's a sign that physically my body isn't doing well. And I think we can we can go for a long time and kind of take our body to the brink when it comes to missing out on sleep and not mm-hmm. taking care, you know, of just our basic physical needs. And I know I took for granted for a while my body's need for sleep. And so if I'm getting to the point of overwhelm and exhaustion, that's when I know, okay, I probably need to mind my sleep. Another simple one is like if I'm feeling um overwhelmed and I'm not caring for like my hydration, mm-hmm. I, I start to feel maybe a little bit dizzy or I'm hungry or I just like don't have any energy, especially after I eat. Those are all signs that I've taken myself into like physical overwhelm. Um, and so those are the key indicators that I need to set things right. One of the certifications that I have is yoga health coaching, and we utilize this model from Ayurveda, which is the sister science of yoga. It's like lifestyle of yoga. And in Ayurveda, the teaching is that when you are going into imbalance, there's like four or five stages of imbalance that can be manifest in the body or in the mind. But a lot of times in Western medicine or Western thinking, we don't identify it as an imbalance until it gets to like stage five or six when we need to go to the doctor. So when we take an Ayurvedic perspective, we can notice it, like I was saying, on simple things like my hydration is off, my hands are really dry right now. I, I know I probably haven't had enough to drink lately. Or if my digestion is off and I'm not um, having like regular bowel movements or simple things like that and knowing like, okay, my body is not clearing things out the way that it usually does. Um, So anyway, those are all like early warning signs that something's out of balance. And in Ayurveda, we address them at like stages one, two, and three before they get to like full-blown symptoms at five or six. And so I take those early warning signs really seriously. 
And they may sound like simple things, but over time, if we don't address them, they turn into something more serious. So from like a mental health perspective, I know that if I'm feeling overwhelmed at small things, so maybe my husband comes home from work and he says, um, you know, ask me a question about what we're doing that night. And I feel inclined to just like fly off the handle and say like, we talked about this yesterday. I don't understand. You know, Mm -hmm. that's a sign that mentally and emotionally I'm on the edge, right? Like I'm not in my place where I can be kind of relaxed and ready for whatever comes my way. Um, Another sign for mental or emotional overwhelm is just the feeling of like having every feeling feel really huge, right? Mm -hmm. Like everything that comes at me, it just feels like a wave that's kind of washing over me and I'm sinking in the midst of it, right? And that overwhelm is just how I'm operating. Those are signs that mentally and emotionally I might need, you know, for me, what that looks like is making sure I'm practicing my meditation, making sure again that I'm sleeping Um, starting the day with either journaling or some sort of grounding practice so that I can emotionally, you know, clear, like look at what I'm feeling, acknowledge it and not just stuff it down. Because a lot of times when we're overwhelmed, we have so many emotions coming at us all at once that it can really feel like we're just getting buffeted around by them. And so if we can kind of process them through journaling, through our meditation, you know, I'm a big fan of yoga. If we can do those things that kind of help the emotion move through us, we're not going to have this backlog of emotion sitting there that we have to work through that's kind of holding us back or making us feel like we're seeing. So those are just a few of the things that I, you know, early warning signs for me that like my levels of stress are so high that I'm really going to need to scale back in terms of like lifestyle. I I know if I'm looking at my calendar for the week and I have a full slate of activities that for me, that's not a good fit, right? I'm not, Mm -hmm. I'm not like a go, go, go person. I need some breaks in between. So if I'm looking at my calendar, that's a sign that I need to say no more. So I'll tell myself like, okay, Lindsay, this is a say no week. When someone asks you for something, it's your opportunity to say, you know what? I'm going to need to get back to you on that. Or I have a really full week and I wish I could help, but it's just not going to happen. So I think if we can kind of conceptualize it from those different areas, we we can get to the point where we're we're kind of um, rebalancing like our physical health, our mental health, our you know, and then our lifestyle, and we can get the stress from those different angles to kind of abate a little bit, and we're not feeling just a wash in it from you know from every corner. Just being in tune with yourself and being aware of when you're in a good place, paying attention to that. And when things start to yeah. slide, noting what are those things and addressing them right away. And I, I think that's a wonderful thought process is to catch things when they're early and not wait until things have gotten to a point where you're, like you said, go to the doctor and, and find things out. I think everybody's just so geared anymore that you just go, 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 and you don't even pay attention anymore to the simple things because you're so focused on next week or whatever's going on outside of you that it's it's hard to be in the moment and slow down enough and and modifying that behavior to to the point where you can really pay attention and really stop. And a lot of the people I end up talking to on this podcast have been in that position where they've just pushed so hard that their bodies have said enough already. And if you're not going to listen, I'm going to give you something to make you listen. And it's scary to think that, you know, for some reason it's, you know, socially or whatever, um, acceptable to push yourself to that extreme and that people are expected to work at that level. Um, that's, it's so destructive and it really does create more situations health wise, mentally and physically that take you away from doing the things you could have been doing than if you just slowed down in the first place and kind of broke it off into smaller sections or like you said, start saying no a little bit more so that you have that time for yourself to recharge. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a great point that we don't give ourselves the permission maybe sometimes. And I don't even know that we need the, you know, we don't need permission to be human and Mm -hmm. to have bodies that have needs or, you know, to need sleep. But our culture doesn't reinforce those things with any kind of regularity usually. And so we end up needing to really be intentional about it, right? And like you're saying, say, okay, I'm going to make this conscious decision to not run myself ragged to not, you know, stay up until two in the morning every night. And it's surprising to me, you know, I'll look back at my sleep habits before and 
you know, the, the fact that I made it for as long as I did without having a health crisis with the kind of sleep I was giving my body, it's kind of astounding, you know? <laughs> right. Oh, no, I agree. Yeah, I agree. And so I think that there's so much value in just owning and honoring those needs. And I, I, you know, the people that I work with in cultivating habits that promote self-care, sleep is one of the hardest ones because they feel weak or they feel lazy or they feel, you know, and we're not talking about going to bed at 530. We're talking to go about going to bed at 10 or 930. But to them, they're like, mm-hmm. that's like four hours of my day. You know, like I can't, what do I, what am I going to do? How do I, how do I get everything done if I, if I go to sleep then? And I was like, well, you, you don't, you know, you, you do less things. Right. And I, in my own life, I found that when I chose to prioritize sleep and when I chose to prioritize self-care, I got a lot more discerning about what I allowed into those awake hours because all of a sudden they weren't, they weren't unlimited anymore, right? I was, I was giving myself right. like a finite number of hours to get things done each day. And so I found myself filling them with very um, intentional activities and it created additional meaning for me because I was not just taking whatever came my way and not just saying yes all the time, but I was, like you said, really honoring that moment, what I had to give, what was being asked of me, and then, you know, noting whether it was something I wanted to engage with. And when we can get to that level of presence and not just run on autopilot and say yes all the time and feel overwhelmed all the time, we really do give ourselves an additional level of meaning in our lives because we fill our lives with the things that matter most to us instead of just whatever comes our way. So this goes along the lines of being more mindful and and trying to really just put things in perspective and try to understand better what is working for you and what are some of the things you can weed out. And what would you give as an example uh, to an, a, a client, uh, something to do to practice more mindfulness? I'm so glad you asked because... <laughs> As you know, I love talking. Um, It's a really great question. So one of the things that I think is really important to understand about mindfulness is that it can become a way of life and it takes practice. So when we just get started, we don't want to berate ourselves if this doesn't come easily. It just takes time. And we really are making changes in our brains that allow this to come about. So don't um, don't try it once or twice and then give up if you don't feel like it's having the results that I'm about to describe because it does take time. But one of the things that I think is great to consider is this idea of open monitoring and then very specific present moment. So there's a part of our brain that is designed to kind of watch us. And that can sound a little bit weird or uncomfortable for people. You can consider it like um, maybe if you're in like a factory, say the Crayola factory, and you're watching the crayons get made and you're walking along, you know, the, the that high level area above the factory and kind of w- looking at all the things that are going on down below. Um, you're noticing the processes individually, then you can see everything and how it kind of fits together and how eventually at the end you get this crayon, right? So there's a part of our brain that's designed to do that, to kind of keep tabs on all the different things, all, you know, like our emotional awareness, our physical well-being, our senses, how we're relating to other people. There's a part of our brain designed to do that. We don't always give it a ton of exercise. So sometimes it's not the strongest part of our brain. So that part of our brain can kind of just help us have this high level overview of what is going on for us in any given moment and how the things that we're experiencing kind of fit together. So an example of that, this week, my, um, my daughter had a concussion. And so in our house, we, you know, had this added layer of stress, right? We had just come off a weekend where we'd had company in town. We didn't have a ton of um, sleep. You know, we would stay up late chatting. So we were already tired. Um, She has this like trauma. So then we have the concussion we're dealing with. And then we also, you know, I've got to be interfacing with her school and we're interfacing with the doctor and luckily it's minor, but she still has to take some interventions to, you know, to recover. So I'm recalibrating my schedules. I'm working on figuring out what she needs and making sure she has the support she needs, but also the quiet and rest. And it's really out of routine for us, right? So in that moment, what I can do is I can get really stressed and um, frustrated and anxious about all the different pieces that are going on, or I can kind of go up to that catwalk, right? That place above where I'm observing what's going on and saying, Lindsay, in this moment, 
you have a lot on your plate, right? Like you already are tired. So maybe getting some sleep is going to be important over here. You're working on figuring out how to organize our schoolwork and all these things that are going on. And that's going to be stressful because you, you didn't anticipate that as part of your week and you're already trying to catch up from having company. So give yourself a break, you know, be patient with yourself this week because you're navigating quite a few things. You have a lot going on in your factory that you're not used to, and you're trying to get some new processes up and running. And it's just going to take some time and energy. So make sure you're caring for yourself and maybe say no to a couple of things. You know, I, I rescheduled a bunch of appointments and just tried to create space so that mm-hmm. I could address what was going on in our life. At the same time, having like present moment awareness about the stress that looked like me being at the doctor's office with her. And, you know, we're talking to the doctor and just being really clear about what her symptoms are. So those symptoms felt a little scary to me. So my tendency mm-hmm. was maybe to shy away from them or want to gloss over them. And um, so when she would come to me with a new symptom this week, I'd say, okay, that's great information for us to have and really just sit in that present moment and watch. You know, there was one night where she was really jittery and I was... Um, I kind of had my hand on her leg and it was shaking a little bit. And I was like, oh my gosh, is she having a seizure right now? I'm not sure what's going on. And there was a part of me that wanted to get stressed out and go on a spin like, oh my gosh, she's having a seizure. I don't know what, you know, like, what does Mm -hmm. this mean? I don't know. But I, you know, present moment awareness invited me to just stay really present and just sit with her in that moment and and like be aware of what was going on. Because in in the present is the only place we have the space to make a decision, right? It's the only time we can actually do something. And so I needed to have all my faculties about me in that moment to know what to do. So I didn't have time to spin forward or backward. And so I just had my hand on her leg and we were sitting there and I just was watching her like, okay, if she's having a seizure, I'll probably make sure she can still breathe. She's not, you know, like making sure her airways are clear. We'll might need to call an ambulance, you know, just thinking through right. what to happen if that was what was going on. And luckily it didn't come to that and the, the shaking settled down and, you know, we addressed it with the doctor. But I think in in like a daily practice, what that looks like, it really does just look like sitting for a couple of minutes a day and like watching your thoughts. And that's where I always tell people to start. Like they sit by your bed right after you wake up for two minutes and just, just sit there and breathe. And then consider like you're on the side of a river and your your thoughts are the river, right? And you're just watching your thought river go by and you're watching the thoughts that you're having, you're watching your emotions, you're watching whatever's coming your way, memories, worries. And instead of being in the thick of them and getting kind of beaten around by them and like drowning in those, you're just taking a few steps out, sitting on the rock at the side of the river and watching them float by. And so it sounds so simple, but just a practice like that leads to those moments I described this week, right? Where when you just can do that consistently and start to tune into that part of your brain that can be the observer and then simultaneously connect with your just really present moment awareness, it leads to this ability to really engage with life from a big picture perspective and then with present moment awareness, which creates a kind of mindfulness magic that's really great. I that The analogies of being on that catwalk up in the the factory and just trying to understand all that's going on and the pieces parts and how it all starts at one end and comes out the other end and and trying to just be outside of yourself and observe from a distance or like you're saying sitting on the edge of the river and watching all that go by and not being consumed by it and really just being aware and just inventorying what is going on right now and having that sense of calm it you really you take the power away from the the stress and the the overwhelmed feelings because you're outside of it and just breaking it down into the simple things that are happening and it does really change the way things play out because you're not caught up in the emotion of it you're taking that time to be calm and understand and make educated decisions and not knee-jerk reactions to things. And so, yes, I could really understand if you can catch yourself and put yourself outside of it to really just stop and observe how much difference that makes in going through something, you know, in your life, a challenge that you have. Yeah, it really, really does. And I, you know, there's one thing about being overwhelmed and like feeling emotion that's really fascinating to me. Well, there are a lot of things, but one of the things about it, and you touched on it when you just were talking about patterns and reactivity, 
is that if we have emotions that haven't kind of been organized in ourselves, so if we have experiences, they can be traumatic, like low grade trauma or, you know, higher grade trauma, or just just experiences that really hit us deep. One of the things that can happen is those emotions can kind of get stuck. So if you think about it like a conveyor belt, and like the emotions are running along inside you, and eventually they need to get organized. And at first, it's just this felt sense, right? And then it goes down the conveyor belt, and then it gets organized into like, this went with this experience, this emotion, you know, tethers with this, this is how we're going to apply or respond to this emotion, right? This is how we understand it. Well, what can happen, and I find this especially true for people in traumatic or stressful experiences, is we can be triggered by emotions we've had previously that didn't kind of get organized. So mm-hmm. if you think about it like that conveyor belt, if you, this is Dan Siegel's work too. If you, um, if you have an emotion that reminds you of an emotion that didn't get organized, what happens is you get both the emotion. Like, so you get an emotion Mm -hmm. that's really old and is um, just like this felt sense that didn't ever find a place to be organized in you. And you didn't ever kind of process it properly or with the kind of intention that you needed to. And so what happens is if you have another emotion that feels similar, both kind of glue together and it's kind of like it's stuck on your conveyor belt and it's just like, and you're getting both of the emotions. So the current emotion, but what might be happening is you might be having this really strong feeling from something else, you know, that's not even related to this moment, Mm -hmm. but feels similar. And so mindfulness is so powerful because it allows us to kind of discern what is going on. Like if we're having an emotional response or like you said, a reaction that maybe doesn't match the situation that we're in, like, whoa, that was a really big reaction or response, you know, for this, for this stress or for this situation. Sometimes it's because like we have stressful events in our past that we haven't sorted and organized just yet. And so with mindfulness, we can start to be a little more discerning and this comes into relationships pretty heavily because a lot of times what happens is when those stuck feelings come into play, it really affects our relationships. One example would be like if you had um, a situation where say you've been married previously and you had some, you know, some relational trauma from a, a divorce and you were engaging in a new relationship but you had things come up, situations come up that kind of reminded you of the old trauma in your relationship. Well, what can happen is you can respond to the new relationship like with the patterns of the old trauma, right? Like you can respond as you would in an old relationship, like when you're feeling hurt or when you feel money stress or when you're feeling like, you know, health stress or yes. you can take yeah. those patterns and they can just show up again. But when we're mindful, we can kind of sift through it and process it, you know, maybe we're working with a therapist, maybe we're working with journaling, whatever, to kind of put those emotions in their place. Like that is from that experience. This current experience maybe has some similarities or the feeling is similar, but this is a different scenario. And I can respond, excuse me, I can respond intentionally in a way that reflects what this relationship is and what's going on right now in the present instead of that past, you know, responding as though this is a stress from the past. Now I can just in just that example of the relationship situation, sometimes those things happen in a split second. How do you derail that reaction when it's happening that fast in real time? Yeah, that's such a great question. And I think, I mean, we can even bring it home in terms of like health also, because I think any of us who have navigated health crises we have those moments where like a symptom shows up or we're going for a test again or, we're, you know, and, and that feeling mm-hmm. comes back and we're like, ah, what do I do? Um, this is again, Dan Siegel's work, but he talks about this idea of green zones and how we have the ability in our brain to operate from a place of relaxed readiness. Like we can in any situation respond with relaxed readiness. Well, what that looks like is just being able to take what comes and be a little bit more flexible with it. And there are alternates. So he he talks about it as a river. So like if we have this flow in the river, relaxed readiness in this flow state is in the middle. And that's when we can move down the river of our life in a way that is very adaptable. You know, we don't have trouble with new situations and we can we can really handle stress with a level of resilience that gets us through it you know, without compounding the stress. And then on either side of the river, we have like this sense of rigidity 
and the sense of chaos. So if you think about it like a river with like a big stone wall on one side, and then on the other side, there are these little reeds like weeds, and you can just get stuck over there in the chaos. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times our reactions will be either one or the other. And the middle is this green zone, right? The middle is the space where we can flow with our life and move forward in a way that doesn't get us stuck and doesn't leave us like battered against this, you know, stone wall. And so again, having the practices in place to just watch our thoughts allows that green zone or that river to widen. So you can imagine if you're going down a river and it's very narrow and there's a stone wall on one side, like the number of situations where I can have like a flexible response is just this very narrow pathway through. It's going to be hard because like those split second reactions are going to happen, right? And you're going right. to whack into the stone wall and get really rigid and like you need things a certain way in order for you to be okay. Or you're going to get stuck over there in the reeds and you're going to feel overwhelmed at just about everything because you, you're stuck. You can't move forward. So when we practice just breathing and watching our thoughts, when we practice responding to situations, and I'll go through this other acronym in just a minute, when we, res we practice responding to situations and just trying to widen that space just a little bit. And it comes over time, we we can end up with a pretty wide green zone, a pretty wide zone in which like we can flow with different experiences. And that's where I say at first, when people practice it, they don't have a very wide green zone, especially um, if people are under a lot of stress, not used to caring for themselves, don't have any background in mindfulness, their green zone is super, super small. So they end up being reactive most of the time. So reactivity is the way that they roll. Um, but when they practice mindfulness, when they start to observe themselves, observe their thoughts, one of the ways that's really great to practice mindfulness is eating because you really tune into the present moment when you eat mindfully. So that means paying attention, you know, to your senses while you're eating, you're looking at the smell, you know, you're taking in the smell of the food. You're really honoring the taste, slowly eating. You're, you know, noticing the texture of the food. You're looking at how it looks on your plate, like the colors of the vegetables, you know, the way that it, you know, all the colors blend on your plate and then how it sounds like as you're slicing it or as you're chewing it. If you can just get present, like being really present invites that green zone to widen. Another way you can practice this idea of presence is in just simple activities and movement throughout the day. So you can start to move with more intention and mindfulness. So that might look like noticing when your toe hits the ground when you're walking versus when your heel hits, being aware of when your arch flattens when you're walking, you know, and then as you pick your foot up, noticing how that how heavy your foot is. Um, it could be hand washing when you're washing your hands, really feeling the bubbles or the soap on your hands, noticing the temperature of the water. Um, and just moving slowly, slowing down to just get really present. And when we can do that, we widen the green zone because our brain is used to being present. It's not used to like a lot of times, like we said, we're racing forward and trying to just accomplish as much as possible and being in a rush. And that doesn't help our green zone very much. But when we can slow down and get present and even just, you know, once a day, you practice mindful hand washing once a day, or if you can eat a mindful meal once a day, you'll slowly over time see that green zone start to widen. And then the next time you're in a situation, say it is relational, where you're going on that knee jerk reaction, and you're just making, you know, you're, you're having a response that is maybe not the most productive in that moment, you'll, you'll stop. And I watch people do this again and again, and they'll say to me, I finally did it. Like I've been mm -hmm. thinking, I've been thinking that I needed to do this. I've been thinking I just needed to hold my tongue for a minute and think through what I wanted to say, but I finally was able to do it. Like I had enough, you know, self-control or discipline at that point that my green zone was big enough that I could stop in that moment, take an intentional response, and then you know, see what happens. And so again, it's just time. And those simple, simple daily practices, you just have to start, right? Start today, do something right. more mindfully today, and then it will start to trickle into all these other areas of your life where it will have a big impact. And so the more you do this, it's something so continual in your life that if you do it, and you start doing it more and more every day, um, that does lead to having that experience, if you do have a situation where you, you have that moment to just think and build up to that, um, that's a great example. And, and the visuals are amazing. To, for me, I totally can be in, 
in this green zone and going down the little river and I can see the rocks and I can see the weeds and, and, and I can see how visually when you're going along, how you can fall off to either side and, and what you need to do to try to keep yourself flowing down that river. So that's a, that's a wonderful analogy. I I really enjoy that. You never know what happens in life. I think it's part of your arsenal of things that you you need in your back pocket to have and practice and and to become more in that moment and better yourself to be more accepting and working through those glitches that you have of being reactive to something. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. And I think you really, yeah, what you just said is great because I think that idea of acceptance is one that we maybe fight. And one of the things about mindfulness that's great, and a lot of people when they first practice, they're like, I can't do it. I cannot do this. I'm not, you know, meditation. They were like, my mind just won't stop. It just won't Mm -hmm. stop. And it's, it's fascinating to me. And I love watching people connect with the idea that you're actually not supposed to stop your mind. Like that's not the idea. The idea is to just observe it, understand what's going on, and then make an intentional choice, right? And so I love that you could connect with the analogy. And I think the thing that I see the most from people is that when they find themselves on, you know, say they're over in the reeds and they're feeling overwhelmed or their boat's bashing up against the, you know, stone wall and they're just feeling that sense of rigidity internally, like, unless this happens, I'm not going to be okay, that they get frustrated with themselves in those moments and they think like, why can't I just do it? Why can't I just be in the middle of the river? And part of the practice, I would even say the most important part of the practice is gracefully acknowledging that and accepting those moments and then just like doing what you can to try to move toward your green zone, you know, move toward the middle of the river. But it's not that we don't have those moments because like you said, we all do, but it's the it's the graceful handling of them and the acceptance of them that allows us to move forward and not beat ourselves up. Like we never beat ourselves up that we hit the rock wall. We don't beat ourselves up that we got stuck in the reeds. We just acknowledge and then move forward. And it's that practice repeatedly that is the thing that changes you. It's that grace and that patience with yourself that changes every situation. Because once you can start to cultivate that within your own self, it's much easier to give it to other people. So when we're in those relationship moments, if we can be patient with ourselves and say, oh my gosh, I am completely operating under you know an old relational pattern. Or you know what? My coworker really frustrated me today and that's why I'm getting mad at my you know, my, my partner right mm-hmm. now, that if we can have the grace to not beat ourselves up in that, right. And be like, I can't believe I did that. I'm so, I can't, I just, right. I can't believe, you know, we, we often, and it's normal, we get stuck there. And so the goal then is when you cultivate this awareness to do so with as much grace as you can muster, and then just be like, huh, you know, I did just react about something that happened earlier today and had nothing to do with you. And I'm really sorry, you know, and then let it go. We, we just, the grace tends to flow when we can give it to ourselves. So all this practicing and, and being mindful and paying attention and shifting how you react or respond to things, how does that play into resilience and getting through challenges? That's such a great question. And one of the things that Dan Siegel talks about that I really love is um, a, his analogy is coal. And it's curiosity, openness, acceptance, and love. And this is something that didn't come easily for me at all. This is a practice that I uh, worked for quite some time to adopt. And I would say it's one of the biggest players in my resilience tool belt is being able to approach any situation with a sense of curiosity. Like what's actually going on here? Because our brains can't be afraid and curious at the same time they're not wired for that. So if we can shift from a fear state during times of stress to a curiosity state, that's already just going to give us a huge bonus in terms of the mental faculties that are available to us. Because when our brain is afraid, it shuts off some of our creative thinking, right? And we can't approach a challenge with as much creativity as we probably need to navigate it. So we we go into something with curiosity, we're open to different outcomes. And that can be really hard during stressful times, right? Especially when it comes to health, like we want a certain outcome. But um, when when we are open, we are looking at different options. We're willing to see um, different pathways forward, just as, you know, we don't want to have a ton of rigidity. 
when we can be open to different options, we avail ourselves of a ton of our own creativity, but also the insights that might come to us from others. We see um, solutions in different places than maybe what we were used to. And so that's huge. And then acceptance, we can accept different Like if it's a health struggle, we can accept different diagnoses or different prognoses along the way. And we can do so from a place of not fighting them. And one of the things mindfulness can really give us a boost in is this idea of just accepting what is and then working there. And I know, you know, in times when there are things involved that are less than appealing, that can be especially challenging, right? Whether it's Mm -hmm. relationally, whether it's in life, whether it's in health. But again, the only options we have are in this moment. So the sooner we can accept this moment, the sooner we can take action and move forward in whatever that looks like in a way that's going to allow us to create the most meaning that we can. And the longer we go about not accepting this moment, the, the longer we put off any real decisions that we could be making. And so when we can practice this idea of acceptance and just be open to different solutions, scenarios, like outcomes, and do so with a sense of curiosity, that's going to lead us to that, that L in coal, which is love. And we can accept ourselves, right? With, and offer mm-hmm. ourselves love. And then we can offer love to those around us because we're not feeling stuck. We're not fighting the situation that we're in. And so I would say practicing mindfulness over time allows us to cultivate these qualities, this curiosity, openness, acceptance, and love in a lot of situations. And when we can approach situations with those qualities, our level of resilience skyrockets because we're in a position to just respond and respond intentionally instead of being reactive. Another way that I think mindfulness helps us cultivate resilience is in just being present. And, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day and she was talking to me about how one of her best teachers around mindfulness was um, when she was working in hospice. And she was saying, you know, the the people in hospice weren't going to get better, mm-hmm. you know, and her job was just to be present. And she said, you know, it took me from this space of wanting wanting to change anything to just creating human connection. And I think no matter what we're going through when we're building resilience, like we can create connection, right? Like whether right. whether it's a situation that we you know, have initiated ourselves through our choices, whether it's something that's kind of out of our control, whether it's just something life has handed us, we can create those human connections anywhere we go. And going back to that idea of empathy, if I dive deep into the hurt or suffering that I'm experiencing right now, I can be with someone else in it as well. And, and I think in moments of my life when I have needed to have, you know, a level of acceptance for what I was going through, having other people who I could connect with was really, really important for me. So we do ourselves a favor as humanity when we can just, you know, learn to connect in those hard moments and be mindful about like what is going on, what we what we are experiencing, and then who else in that moment, you know, is there for us to connect mm-hmm. with? Who can I connect with? I just think about... The, all the elements of what happens in a, in a day, in a life, and how many opportunities we have to make choices and how exciting it is that just making one decision different, making one thing better in a day, how much that changes tomorrow and the next day and the next day and how you can build on that simple change to better your life and be in a different place. The thing that was striking me was the turning the fear into curiosity. Like, you know, when somebody tells you your health is being challenged, when you're going through something that's very serious, it is very overwhelming and and you are in that fear state and your mind does do that reeling of what ifs and it's flipping the switch and bringing that curiosity into it and being more open to just understanding a little bit more and taking the power away from the fear, just having that sense of peace and calm and and working through it. And all these visuals that you've put into place of how to adjust that thinking and how to adapt to a new way of living more in the intentional and calm ways that makes a a world of difference. And it's just slow 
repetitive and giving yourself a break if you mess up, but being consistent with it as best you can to get to the point where you tip the scale and it's not so much a hard thing to do. It it starts coming naturally. So I think that's an amazing aspect to everything you do and how powerful these things are that you've talked about today. Thank you. Yeah, I totally agree. It's just exactly how you described it. When we can slowly make those choices, you know, just intentionally one choice at a time, it does make these really substantial changes over time. There's a visual that I really appreciated. It was at a time when we were navigating quite a bit of grief. And the idea was um, they, they showed these cards and it was a progression. And the first one was this concrete heart. So it was just like, you know, consider concrete on the sidewalk in the shape of a heart, right? And the the heart was intact and it was there. And, um, you know, that was the first one. And then the next card showed a concrete heart with a crack in it. And in that crack, you know, you just felt like, ah, this beautiful heart, it just, you know, now it's cracked, what's going to go in it and how we're going to fix it. And so I think a lot of times when we have things that really stress us out and we you know, it's normal. We don't want it. We want to put it back together. We want to fix it the way that it was. And we want Mm -hmm. it to be whole again in the way that we're accustomed to it. And I think so much of resilience is recognizing the beauty that can come from that crack, right? So the progression of the cards there was like, you know, over time, some little seeds nestled into the crack and there, you know, there was dirt there. And then these seeds started to sprout. And then they became flowers. And then all of a sudden, it was like a little heart stepping stone, right? That had these beautiful flowers growing, growing in the crack. And I think there are, you know, in in various cultures, different analogies that are similar. Like in Japan, there's Kintsuki pottery, where it's like they fill the cracks in the pottery with gold because it's a valuable thing, the crack. The crack is a valuable thing and beauty can go there. And so in both of those instances, I think it's the recognition that even though things aren't turning out the way that we think that they will or that we wanted them to, we can spend all day long trying to shove the two sides of that heart back together, right? And try to make it seem mm-hmm. like there's there's never anything wrong. It didn't, it didn't happen, you know? <laughs> but life hands us those moments and we can choose to, you know, in these small practices, be curious about what's going to show up in that crack. Like your broken heart, what's going to What's going to come from that? What's going to show up there? What's going to grow in that space? And sometimes as hard as it is to sit with that cracked open heart, when we do and when we create those connections and when we move forward in a way that adds like a layer of depth and beauty to our existence, it it doesn't just affect us, right? Like you said, in that moment, that ripples out and it ripples Mm -hmm. out significantly. And so the more of us that, you know, can take that that openness and that curiosity, accept the things that are, and then be open to what grows in that space of struggle, of ill health, you know, of devastation, of stress. The more we come to an understanding that there's so much beauty in there for us and so much beauty in there for other people that we're willing to engage with it because we're wondering what beauty is going to come this time. Thank you. I just, I'm sitting here thinking of anybody that is listening today to this episode, um, what they can learn and and understand, and the importance of becoming more resilient to stress and learning to live more intentionally um, and finding the calm in your life. Imagine how different life can be when you have that shift in your mindset and you can really work toward that goal of releasing that weight and just removing that sinking feeling. And I really appreciate your time today, Lindsay. This has been an amazing episode. And I think anybody who's just trying to just deal with life in general uh, can take so much from this. And I really appreciate your time today discussing this. If there's anything that anybody would like to follow up with you on, I will make sure that there's information about your website. But if you want to give your information now so they have it as well, then uh, go ahead and, and you can do that. Thanks so much, Lori. I really appreciate what you're doing and your commitment to resilience. I know your story is incredible and just the the commitment that you have to sharing positivity and to sharing uplifting messages, it, it's inspiring to me. So thank you for allowing me the space to share an hour with you today. But yeah, people can find me on Instagram at the stress nanny or on my website 
www.thestressnanny.com or my podcast, The Stress Nanny with Lindsay Miller. And I share various free resources. I have courses. I have individual coaching. So if you feel like you want to connect, I'd love to connect with you in any of those ways. One of the things I'm passionate about is helping kids connect with mindfulness so that they can build their life from this space and that they can have these tools for resilience from a young age. And so that's something also that I that I love um, sharing is tools for kids. So if you have any need or desire to connect, I'd love to meet you. And that seems that would be invaluable uh, to to start at a young age and really instill that from the get-go. Thank you, Lori. There was a quote on on your website that said, the other day I was telling a friend, it's a funny thing, doing something that everyone tells you is impossible. It forever changes your relationship with what is possible. It's true for me. It's true for you too. It's possible for your health to get better and it's possible to age gracefully. That just struck me as something to really hold on to because if you look back at your life, how many things you've gone through that seemed impossible and here you are and showing that it is possible and to approach things in the future that are struggles with the opportunity to make it possible. So thank you for that as well. Oh, thank you. I believe that firmly. And I think sometimes we, yeah, we limit ourselves when we, we go with what is possible for other people and maybe don't connect with what's possible for us. Thank you for listening to my chat with Lindsay. What a great way to look at our potential and how we get through life's challenges, making small adjustments and learning to work toward a calmer existence. Imagine how different life can be when you no longer have that sinking feeling and you are in the right mindset. You can learn more about Lindsay on her website at thestressnanny.com, on Instagram at thestressnanny, and you can find her podcast, The Stress Nanny. The links will be in the episode description. If you or someone you care about would like to share their experience or know of an organization to help even just one person, please reach out to me at sailingthroughlifepodcast.wordpress.com. How do you sail through life? Join me on this endeavor. I would love to grow this caring support community. Be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find me on your favorite podcast platform. I'd be grateful if you could leave a review and share it. If you have any thoughts on today's episode or topics you'd like me to further touch on, please message me through my new website, sailingthroughlifepodcast.wordpress.com and on Instagram and Facebook at Sailing Through Life Podcast. I would also love if you could support my podcast. This will help me grow the show and continue my passion to reach others with my messages of hope and empowerment. Please visit my website to find out more. Thanks again. Chat with you next time.